Well, this probably isn't the win the president wants, but the president just got a win in court nonetheless. A federal judge has just agreed with the president, uh, Judge Richard Leon, that the federal workers in the shutdown can be required to work even without pay. Uh, This was a lawsuit by the National Treasury Employee Union, the National Air Traffic Controller Association, and others uh, saying that... uh, the government couldn't force employees deemed essential to work without pay. And the judge declined to issue an injunction, uh, which is unusual because more and more judges these days seem to be uh, allowing injunctions to go uh, when it comes to being against the president. So good for the president, I guess, but clearly he would much rather have a win against the Democrats. The shutdown will continue. We will get into the politics there, but I want to spend a little time on a state issue in Georgia that I think is actually a pretty significant issue. Uh, And I I really think that we need to talk this through. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Senator Burt Jones has a study committee about taking control of Hartsville-Jackson to Dead Mares Airport and basically turning it over to the state. And the city of Atlanta obviously does not support this. And I've been digging into this. I, I have generally favored the idea. And having studied it a little more, I, I actually think this is worth doing. And I'm happy to take your calls on this. But let me make the case for you, and, and if any member of the administration is is listening here, I know that the politics of this, particularly after a speech about unity, uh, is probably not the way the governor wants to go. But I think that if we're really serious about the urban-rural divide in Georgia, that having the state take over the airport is something that needs to happen. Uh, let me make a couple of points here. Point number one. Did you know that the airport's controlling authority is not the City Council of Atlanta? If you're like me, I bet you thought that the airport's governing control entity ultimately worked its way back to the City Council. That's not actually true. It works its way back to the mayor. In other words, one person... The mayor of Atlanta, and, and I should stop and say this has nothing to do with Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, who thus far has seemed to be uh, more competent than Kasim Reed. Uh, but we can't help but notice that a number of people who worked for Kasim Reed and people related to the airport and its governance and maintenance and control are being carted off to jail or pleading guilty for things that happened. And we have one person who controls the airport, the mayor of the city of Atlanta, not the city council. The mayor of Atlanta uh, controls the chief financial officer or the chief operating officer, uh, and the Department of Aviation falls under that person, the, the chief operating officer. And uh, the, the Department of Aviation then picks a general manager who has people under them, but it all goes back to the mayor, not the city council. Now, certainly members of city council might get appointments, but this has everything to do with the mayor. Now, ask yourself this question. Should the mayor of the city of Atlanta be singularly empowered to control the largest economic engine in the state of Georgia? Nothing comes close to two dead mayors airport. 
when it comes to economic generation in the state of Georgia. Nothing comes close. And it's controlled by the mayor of Atlanta, who may get a couple hundred thousand votes. That's pretty crazy to me. Then there's the corruption issue. I mean, we are seeing now a series of stories coming out about the corruption in the bidding process for contracts at the airport and who knows what else. I mean, you're talking about an airport that is ultimately controlled by a single person who is a city politician and people are trying to get contracts to do business at the airport. That's just asking for abuse, asking for abuse along the way. And we've got the entire economic fortune of the state of Georgia tied to a mayor in Atlanta controlling the airport. Think about that. When we when we talk about the economic rural divide in the state, we talk about the Atlanta rest of the state divide. We've got the city of Atlanta. We've got one elected official, not all of the city council, one elected official in Atlanta in charge of this economic engine. So now consider this. Delta does not like talk of a competing airport in the state. Uh, but when you look at other states out there, there are other options. I mean, even Tennessee, you got the Chattanooga Airport, which people refer uh, as the Northern Atlanta Airport. And I think that's nuts to send people out of state to to fly. But I mean, Tennessee, you've got Memphis, you got uh, Nashville, you got Chattanooga. You've got uh, you go to Washington, D.C., you've got Dulles, you've got Baltimore, you've got uh, Reagan National. Go to California, you've got San Francisco, you've got Los Angeles. Go to Chicago, you've got Midway, and you've got uh, O'Hare. We have the largest airport in the world, and Delta essentially has a gate monopoly. I mean, just talk to the people from JetBlue about the hassles of even working with the city of Atlanta to get access there. The city of Atlanta uh, did not roll out the welcome mat for JetBlue because it didn't want to ruffle feathers with Delta. Delta has for years funded outside interest groups to harass the uh, city, the county commission in Paulding County about its airport. Uh, they have stifled uh, other attempts in Lawrenceville and elsewhere for other airports because Delta controls most of the gates at Hartsfield. It controls most of the takeoff and landing slots. It would be good for us. I mean, you, you've got down in, in Macon. I used to be the chairman of the, the properties committee for the city council of Macon. You had 500 more feet to the airport uh, in Macon, and you can land uh, heavy flights, bigger planes. You could offload a lot of capacity. And there are a lot of people, believe it or not, outside of the metro Atlanta area, south of I-20, who would probably rather fly out of a place like that instead of navigating the airport. But, let, I mean, just put that put that on the side burner. The, the issue of the city of Atlanta helping to block the growth of another economic engine in the state in terms of aviation because it's catering so much to Delta and controlling its monopoly at the airport. But put all of that aside. Pretend it's taken off the table. Assume another hub is taken off the table. If you had a statewide aviation authority, much like we have a statewide ports authority. We've got multiple ports in the state. People focus on Savannah, but we've got Brunswick as well. But if you had a, a statewide airport authority controlling the major economic driver of the state, you could add that 500 feet to the runway down in Macon and say, we're not going to allow competitors against Delta because Delta's homegrown, but we are going to encourage cargo carriers to fly there instead of Atlanta 
because we now have the inland ports situation in Cordill, Georgia, down south of Macon. Now they've built what's called an inland port. So trucks can take cargo out of the port of Brunswick and out of the port of Savannah and truck them to the I-75 corridor in Cordill, Georgia. And that's where they deal with customs and everything else. So it, it makes it easier to get stuff out of the port of, of Savannah and get into a distribution hub. So you offload cargo capacity from Atlanta. You free up landing and takeoff slots for Delta. You free up room around the airport for another, for another uh, concourse. And you move a lot of the stuff that's headed to South Georgia and Middle Georgia down to Macon. But you can't do that right now because the city of Atlanta controls it all. And I've been thinking about this and I've had conversations with several people who are familiar with the thinking of the study committee. And having been the chairman of the public properties committee for for Macon, Georgia, uh, several years ago and been as the chairman of that in charge of the airport, in Macon, I'm I'm familiar with these issues, and it just it kind of hit me. the The state legislature is so focused on we need rural broadband, we need rural broadband. What if you take the airport away from the city of Atlanta, away from actually technically the mayor of Atlanta, so that one person in the city of Atlanta is not controlling the entire economic fate of the state? You hand it off to an authority, much like the Ports Authority where it has accountability, it has to report to the legislature. Um, You're not going to have one of those situations where we had that fire at the airport that took out power and and caused an international aviation problem because of what happened at Hartsfield-Jackson to Dead Mares International Airport. And there's no accountability. There actually is accountability. There are investigations. The state is involved. The state has jurisdiction. And you build this airport authority up. You don't take just Hartsfield, but take the Middle Georgia Regional Airport as well. Put it in there. And suddenly you've got an economic engine that isn't focused right on 285 on the south side of Atlanta, but actually realizes that there's a way to offload capacity from that airport, put it at another airport, to free up landing and takeoff slots for Delta and other airlines, to free up space at that airport. We can't do any of that stuff right now because the mayor of Atlanta controls it as a fiefdom. And again, this has nothing to do with the particular mayor. It has nothing to do with Keisha Lance Bottoms. But have you paid attention to the FBI investigation at City Hall? Have you paid attention to the procurement and contract problems? We're letting one person in one city control the economic driver of not just Georgia, but the Southeast. That's insane to me. And so I would tell the Kemp administration, uh, there are ways forward, and I suspect you could probably pick up Democratic votes, maybe not in, in the city of Atlanta, but around the state, pick up Democratic support and build some bipartisan support for growing the economic engine. You want to focus on building rural Georgia? You want to focus on growing outside of Atlanta? Well, one of the things you're going to have to do is stop letting the airport be so Atlanta-centric because that airport is the economic generator for the entire state. And so we should start treating it as the economic generator of the entire state to show that other parts of the state might benefit from rethinking the entire transportation plan in in terms of cargo and capacity and things like that. And you can't do that right now while the city of Atlanta controls the airport. The state legislature is looking into this issue. I think conservatives in the state legislature could find some bipartisan Democratic support to make this happen. 
Jonathan Last of the Sub Beacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines and, you know, I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall and it didn't seem like they were working and the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm. And you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife, all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there. And there's soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. It is 27 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Back to the phones we go. Andrew and Sandy Springs, you're up first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. Talk to you. Uh, Firstly, thank you for bringing up the idea of getting the airport out from under our corrupt city hall, which has long used it for favoritism and cronyism and which has actually run off a couple of good airport administrators. Right. So two questions. One, how do you keep the cronyism from simply moving up to the state level? And the other question is a proposal to have a private airport management company run the airport, and they actually pay the state for the privilege of doing so. Um, so on the first issue, cronyism is, as long as there are politicians involved, that's going to be an issue. But if you move it into a state authority, then the state inspector general would be able to have oversight of it, uh, which would minimize it. I mean, compare the level of cronyism we see at the Atlanta airport versus the level of cronyism at the ports where the ports also have lots of union involvement even if Georgia technically is a is a free um, a, a non-union state you, you got teamsters and everything else and they've managed to keep it relatively corruption free largely because the state legislature has oversight and the state inspector general's office has oversight in a way they don't over the city of Atlanta airport um, the issue on privatization is actually way more complicated than I wish it were there are private aviation companies that do manage airports. Uh, we used one when I was in the city of Macon, and it was quite good. It actually manages a couple other airports. I believe the one in Athens as well. Uh, they don't scale up very well to airports the size of Atlanta. Um, you are essentially asking for a, a specialized business. 
The businesses that specialize don't handle airports the size of Atlanta. There's also another issue involved for airports the size of Atlanta, which I, I only know because I was the, the chairman of the airport uh, committee in Macon, and that is the FAA prohibits privatization. Now, it technically doesn't. There's a pilot program, but they made the rules so onerous that no one, very few airports, let me put it that way, can be privatized. And if you have outstanding bonds, which Atlanta does, you can't be privatized. So... Atlanta really wouldn't be apt for that position. Um, more on this when we come back in your calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It is 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. All right. If you're just tuning in here, uh, Brian Kemp, in his inaugural address yesterday, talked about the divides in the state, the racial divide, the economic divide, the urban-rural divide, the partisan divide, uh, and... I think that one of the ways that the governor needs to consider uh, economic division in the state and the urban-rural divide in the state is over the issue of the Atlanta airport. Uh, There's a study committee right now uh, looking at taking state control of the Atlanta airport, and I think it's something that seriously needs to be considered, and I suspect outside of the city of Atlanta there would be bipartisan support for it long-term to move it under an authority much like the Ports Authority. And The reason for this is... It is such an economic generator for the state. It's the largest economic engine of the state, and it's controlled not by the city council of Atlanta, but singularly by the mayor of Atlanta and the people the mayor appoints. And there have now been a series of FBI investigations. There have been guilty pleas. There have been corruption charges. There have been all sorts of probes. And the state is largely held hostage in its economic growth through the airport by the mayor of Atlanta. Uh, thankfully, we have a competent mayor of Atlanta right now. I think Keisha Lance Bottoms has shown herself thus far to be very competent, uh, if not more competent than Kasim Reed, uh, who was also very thin skinned and she does not appear to be, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, I mean, after the digs people were making about her macaroni and cheese that look perfectly good, it, it, she can laugh stuff off. This isn't about her. This is about the long term uh, of the airport. And if we really want to solve the urban-rural divide, I think transportation is definitely one component of it. And thinking more thoughtfully about integrating uh, transportation, particularly for cargo around the state. We have numerous distribution hubs in middle Georgia now. And there is no aviation capacity there, uh, largely because the state's not invested in it, largely because it doesn't have any sort of ownership stake in the airport. These things need to be rethought. I think that the governor and and the state legislature should think very, very seriously about this. Now, let's go back to the phones on this, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Jerry in Johns Creek, welcome. Hey, Eric. uh, Nice to talk to you again. Okay, quick. Why not move the passenger part of the airport north, say Dahlonega, coming area, leave the cargo down in Atlanta, let Atlanta keep their end of that deal, the economic growth of building another terminal, a north terminal, that demographically would serve the the state better just because of the amount of people that live north of 285 that are spending two, two two-and-a-half-hour drives to get to the airport 
I think it could be a win-win not only for both sides, but for economically for the entire state for the next 15 years. The well, growth it, would be the, immense. I think that the biggest problem there is Delta. Uh, Delta and now Southwest as well, uh, asking them to commit uh, to the the overhead of trying to move their passenger hub to a different part of the state when they're so invested in Atlanta, maybe building a different airport. I mean, you've got the Lawrenceville Airport and others uh, to allow other companies, other plane companies to fly in there and build some more investment. The problem you have moving north, in addition to the facilities between Delta and Southwest that are already integrated at the Two Dead Mares Airport, is you've got U.S. Air actually has the Charlotte hub already, uh, which when you're up in the Gainesville area, you're up in the Lawrenceville area, you're talking a three-hour drive up there to get to the U.S. Air hub there. Um, I, I understand what you're saying, and yes, there, there's a huge argument for allowing another hub. Delta's adamantly opposed to it, but I mean, put to heck with Delta right now. They shouldn't be in charge of our economic future any more than the city of Atlanta should. But I, we're not talking about a Hartsfield-sized facility. There's just no land up there that could reasonably economically be purchased to build another Hartsfield airport to handle all of the passenger aircraft. Uh, you offload cargo to North Georgia or to Central or South Georgia. You free up spots for landing, or you allow another one of these other areas in North Georgia to build a single runway uh, airport. I mean, you know, Reagan National is a single airport, single runway airport, and it has huge amounts of traffic. Do a single runway airport. Delta realizes it's not a huge threat because it's only a single runway. And it still would allow in competition to help all of the passengers in Atlanta reduce some prices. Uh, Bill, in Atlanta, you're up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. I enjoy your show. Thank you. But I want to say, uh, isn't your argument to move the web from the city to the state? It's a socialist argument. You sound like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Atlanta has had a history of competent mayors. That's why it's so successful. It has the most successful airport in the world. It has the busiest airport in the world. And you're making excuses to distribute the wealth. That, well, that you sound it, like except, Bernie Sanders. Except where does most of the money for the Atlanta airport come from? It comes from the passengers yes. and the cargo. Doesn't but come I'm from the city. to you, this airport was built by a su- successful city, by the mayors. But not really, Bill. They have built this airport. They they, They have mayors that you talk about. They've managed the airport, but where did the money come from to build and expand the airport? No, it came from the city. That's not true, Bill. But but what I'm saying is... Bill, facts matter here, and 65% of the money that's come to build the Atlanta airport has come nationally from federal taxpayers through FAA grants. Uh, Most of the additional money has come from the state, not the city of Atlanta. I realize Atlanta wants you to believe that it's invested all the city taxpayer money, but Atlanta has invested de minimis city taxpayer money long-term in the airport. Its passenger fees for the airport have come through. The state has managed. Who built the, the, the bridge, the interstate bridge, the runway bridge? Where'd that money come from? It didn't come from the city of Atlanta. Who built the on-ramps and exit ramps from the interstate to get to the city of Atlanta? Not the city of Atlanta. Who built the major infrastructure around the airport? Not the city of Atlanta. The state did that. Uh, the city of Atlanta, if, if we're going to say that this is a socialist scheme, Atlanta is taking state dollars and federal dollars and pouring it into the airport without having to do much of its own. And by the way, most of what Atlanta has done in pouring out expenses in the airport have been bonds 
that have been paid for out of the revenue generated by the airport. Very, very little taxpayer Atlanta taxpayer money has gone into this. So you in Alpharetta and you in Forsyth County and you in Gwinnett County and you in Fayette County and you in Coweta County, your tax dollars have been poured more into the city of Atlanta's airport than the city of Atlanta has poured its own taxpayer dollars into the airport. And that's a fact. Look at any of the audits of the airport and see where the money comes from. So the state taxpayers are already paying for the cost of the infrastructure around the airport and as federal taxpayers paying for the grants and money from the FAA. You got to think about that. You know, you can actually go into the FAA website and you can look at a lot of this stuff. Um, And you can also look at the notes from the um, or or just having reviewed the the minutes and testimony from the uh, joint committee at the state legislature about the airport. Uh, I mean, Bill made a logical argument that the city of Atlanta has poured a lot of its taxpayer dollars into the airport to build up the airport. And would there be a huge expense? The, The state, if they're taking the airport from Atlanta, should pay them back, except when you actually look into the money. The city of Atlanta hasn't done that. The city of Atlanta has taken federal money and has taken state money and applied that to the airport. And then the city has taken the passenger fees, the ticket fees, and the other fees that are generated at the airport and applied that money as the state would do. So you're not out taxpayer money from the city of Atlanta. You're out money generated by bonds, money generated by grants, money generated by the state. And I think, again, if we're talking about that much money that comes from people of the state, not just the city of Atlanta, but through state taxpayers, there's another reason there for the state of Georgia to manage this economic resource instead of relying on one elected official in one city in Georgia controlling the economic future for the entire state. That's what this comes down to. Again, the city of Atlanta City Council isn't even in charge of the airport. It is one elected official, the mayor of one city in charge of the the economic engine of the state. We want to talk about fixing the urban-rural divide. It's probably time for Atlanta to give up some control. The state is always asked to give up control and pour resources into Atlanta. Let's free up this resource from Atlanta, put it into an airport authority, and say, okay, now how can we distribute cargo capacity better around the state? How can we improve it to tie it into the ports better? All these conversations we can't do right now because it's a city of Atlanta-controlled airport, even though it uses federal and state tax dollars. Uh, Let's see. Do I have time for another call? Yes, I do. Uh, Seth in Marietta, welcome. Hey, Eric. I I wanted to get your thoughts on if we put the state in charge, why not let the Port Authority be in charge of the airport? They do a great job with the ports in Brunswick and Savannah. They make millions of dollars in profit. They have way more of an economic impact, I would argue, with you than the airport. In general, they're a great business model. Uh, they are. Now, I, I will say, don't argue with me on this one, because there's a ton of federal data out there uh, now to show how much of an economic impact the airport has. And the, I assumed that the Brunswick and Savannah combined would be equal to or slightly ahead. They're not even close to the Atlanta airport, according to the federal commerce data. Um, but you know, that's not a bad idea. Uh, led the ports authority. Yeah, they they know what they're New doing. Jersey, right? What's that? New York, New Jersey, their port authority runs the airports, I believe. Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, they do. Now they, there is corruption up there because they, right. they don't have an inspector general oversight and things like that. And, and the, the New York ports authority are, are more localized with the cities involved, Newark and, and, uh, New York city and whatnot. But yeah, listen, the, if not the ports authority, a model like the ports authority, 
Uh, I don't think people who that don't study this, don't pay attention to it, you, you don't understand the Ports Authority. The governor has appointments to it. Other uh, members of the state legislature do. The, the state inspector general can investigate charges of corruption. You can anonymously report. Uh, you're not doing things with the city bureaucracy. You've got firewalls between different state agencies in case there's a corruption report. So you're not dealing with the sorts of corruption and contractor bribery issues and things that we've seen out of Hartsfield to Dead Mayor's Airport. Um, I, whether it's the Ports Authority or another authority, this is the way to go. And I think if the state of Georgia is really focused on economic development in rural areas and outside of Atlanta, they need to do this to show they're serious. This is a good step. And you get a lot of Democrats outside the city of Atlanta, I think, who would realize long term this is the way to go. When we come back, we got to get into William Barr's nomination to the U.S. Senate. Fireworks in the Senate today. It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is the second hour of Atlanta's Evening News, and we're actually running long tonight to 630 uh, tonight. There's a basketball game, I do believe, this evening. There's just no point in having Mark Aram come in for 30 minutes. Happy to stick around. Uh, There's plenty of news out there to talk about today. We've got to get into the William Barr nomination. Um, I I need to ask, I need to abuse our relationship for just a minute, because I, I really I, I didn't want to do the, the whole robot hiring testing thing. Uh, we have redesigned the resurgent uh, and we made it a lot easier for you to get the, the daily radio show, a lot easier to find the news. We moved off the Maven platform. Uh, we've gotten back to our top level domain. And I actually need a bunch of people to go to the website. You, you don't even have to stay. Uh, just load the site because we have to load test the server. And I don't want to hire somebody in India to run a bunch of robots to do this when I have listeners who will gladly just go to theresurgent.com and load test for me. If you all do it at the same time, right? Don't do it if you're driving. Doug Turbo will be mad at you. Um, But load test the server for me by just everybody all at once going to theresurgent.com while I go check the news for you because the attorney general nominee for the president of the United States is making some really big news today. And obviously, the media is rushing out very quickly to say they await the president withdrawing his nomination for this. Uh, I need to play you a clip, and the clip is two minutes long, but you got to hear the setup and the exchange with Senator Tom Tillis from North Carolina to understand the significance of this. Uh, Let's go to it. It was helpful because I think you tried to explain a lot of that and you were cut off, so I thought I'd use some of my time in the first round to ask you that. Um, Also, I think somebody tried to characterize you as having somehow been opposed to any sort of Russia probe or Russia investigations. Have you ever gone on record as opposing any of the things that we're trying to do to figure out where Russia may have been involved in election tampering? No, and in fact, in the op-ed piece where I... uh, said I thought the president was right in in firing Comey. I said that the investigation was going forward under the supervision of Rod Rosenstein. Did you also uh, say more than one time that you felt like the special counsel investigation should reach a conclusion that that special counsel Mueller shouldn't be, um, that he should be allowed to draw this to a a conclusion, then he will submit his report, and you're going to do everything that you can to present as much of that information as you can, as you can, Mm -hmm. uh, 
to the extent that confidential information is not being compromised? To the, yeah, to the extent the regulations permit it, yeah. Did you also say that there's uh, even a scenario where you can't imagine a scenario for cause, but even a scenario for cause where you'd have to, you'd have to take under serious consideration before you would remove special counsel? That's right. Yeah, okay. Um, there hasn't been a special counsel removed since Archibald Cox, and that didn't work out. Didn't work out too well, right. Um, okay, I, I'm just going to stop it there. That line there, there hasn't been a special counsel removed since Archibald Cox. That, that was the night of the long knives, so to speak, in the, the uh, Nixon administration where he insisted that someone fi- fire uh, the special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, looking into Watergate. It, everybody resigned. It ultimately fell to a young guy named William Rehnquist to fire Cox. Uh, and Yes, that William Rehnquist. And Barr here is saying that he can't conceive of a situation where he would actually shut down the Mueller investigation. He can't conceive of a situation where he would actually fire Robert Mueller. By the way, um, thank you, all of you who jumped over to the resurgent. 3,055 people, 3,062 people. Um, that's actually very helpful. Um, thank you, uh, helping. That was very easy, very quick. Um, so here's the point on William Barr. The media has built in a narrative on William Barr that the president wants him because he's going to shut down the Mueller investigation. What has been very little remarked in the national press, and again, I I said yesterday, the media is vastly more concerned with narrative building than they are telling the facts. And any fact that disrupts the narrative or they can't explain, they throw out. And one of the facts that the media has largely had to dismiss because they can't explain it is that William Barr and Robert Mueller have been really good friends for 30 years. They work together. Uh, Their families are close to each other. They are close to each other. And the media has been telling you for weeks and weeks and weeks that the reason the president chose William Barr, in fact, sources say the reason the president chose William Barr is because William Barr wrote letters and an op-ed defending the president in the Mueller investigation. And the president wants him in that position so that he will shut down the Mueller probe. And William Barr is saying that not only is he not going to do that, the last time it happened was the time that Richard Nixon tried to shut down the Watergate investigation and it ended badly for all sides, particularly President Nixon. Now, it sounds like to me the president is not hiring someone to shut down the Mueller investigation. He's hiring a competent attorney general. This is yet another, again, an example of the media spinning a story largely based on Democrats, but more importantly, We are finding that there are people within the administration who are hewing to the Democrat talking points on this issue. Sources say sort of thing. You know, so the Daily Caller ran an op-ed from an anonymous Trump administration official who works in a uh, third-party bureaucracy, I should say third-party bureaucracy, but a a bureaucracy outside the White House, one of the the institutional bureaucracies. And the whole point of the anonymous op-ed, it was to mirror the New York Times op-ed from someone embedded within the Trump White House. And the whole point of it was, I hope the shutdown drags on longer and more of these resistance fighters embedded within the Trump administration are outed. And Donald Trump himself uh, favorably retweeted this, uh, this story. 
And the media has all been out of shape about it. And all the Daily Caller did was do exactly what the New York Times did. But it is true. It is a fact that there are Democratic holdovers sympathetic to the Obama administration still within the Trump administration. And they are doing everything they can from the inside to leak and spin. And so sympathetic reporters who typically come from left-wing think tanks and then get jobs supposedly as objective reporters of the various news outlets, they go to the reporters who are doing stories and confirm all of the Democrat talking points. And the Democrat talking point the media is pushing on William Barr is that the president wants a yes man. And this man has reached out to the president and said, you're in the right Mueller's in the wrong. This should have never happened, and I'm going to shut it down. I have read multiple stories from multiple news outlets regarding this, and multiple reporters have confirmed that people within the Trump administration have said, yes, this man is on the radar because of the letter he wrote to the president saying he wanted to shut down the Mueller investigation. Well, here's William Barr, former Attorney General of the United States, who was praised by Joe Biden, who sailed through Congress near unanimously when George H.W. Bush named him as his attorney general, is under oath today before a Senate Judiciary Committee where three members of that committee want to run for president of the United States. And under oath, he says he would not shut down the Mueller investigation. Under oath, he says that it doesn't appear to be an investigation run amok. Under oath, He says it doesn't appear to be an investigation that's leaking, that all the leaks are coming from elsewhere. And what do the Democrats say? They say, look over there. The president ordered cheeseburgers during a shutdown. Pay attention to that. Jonathan Last of the Sub Beacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines and, you know, I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall and it didn't seem like they were working and the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm and you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife, all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there. And there's soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. It is 25 after the hour, and Niram forgot that I was filling in for him. So he's here. He'll be on at 6 o'clock. You can be done with me. (laughs) 
I'd have been happy to fill in for 30 minutes. Nonetheless, my, my muddy mouth tripping over words sometimes. You, this is the downside of being half from Louisiana, half Swedish. Uh, sometimes words go in two directions at the same time and your tongue doesn't split. So you just mumble. <laughs> Yesterday at the at the inaugural for Kemp, they gave me a it was a very nice script. And every word I had to say was highlighted. There were a few of them that, that had somebody had forgotten. to highlight, So I highlighted them, had a highlighter with me, just it's stuff like that happens. And then there was things we wanted to change. We like there was there was one part we decided we didn't want to say this. So I had to scratch it all out, write in something else. My handwriting is terrible, by the way. And I was just so afraid that I was going to mumble and stumble over my words. I went very, very slow. Several people afterwards told me that their only criticisms was, one, uh, I did not have enough of a drawl, and two, that I was actually slower in my speech than I normally am. The director of the show actually was very happy with me not being as fast as I normally am when I talk. So it was still, it was a fun day. Now, I want to, well... Yeah, I got time. Let me just say the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer is out and it looks very good. But the last five seconds of the trailer, if you watch the American trailer, one of the kids calls Peter Parker a dirty name. If you watch the international trailer, he calls Peter Parker a loser. And an acquaintance of mine on Facebook notes that it's probably because it wouldn't have translated well internationally. But I got to tell you, it really aggravated me. And I'm not the only one who was aggravated that Sony felt the need to put in a, a bad word at the end of this trailer that every kid in America wants to watch. And it just, it frustrates me as a dad. You, the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, no dirty words the entire way through it. And yet this trailer, they couldn't help themselves. It's 39 after the hour. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. To the phones we go. Gary from McDonough. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Great. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Uh, I was a little bit worried about William Barr. In 1991, in his confirmation, he uh, supported the Brady Bill and also said he would support the assault weapons ban. Uh-huh. And then he went on to say he would support limited magazine capacity. Uh-huh. Now, are we getting bamboozled with politics without looking at the person's views on the Second Amendment? Oh, listen, um, today he said that he supported reasonable regulations and was concerned about the mentally ill having uh, guns. And that could lead to the red flag law. And he supports the red flag law. Right. And this is what concerns me. Are Republicans getting so blind with politics that they're not actually looking at the policies that these people they're putting forth support? Um, I will tell you that I talked to a senator, when was it? Was it a week before? It would have been last week, early last week, uh, about the bar nomination. And I expressed my concerns, uh, very similar to what you're saying here. Uh, and he told me it wasn't an issue for him, and, and this guy has a, a great rating from the NRA. The NRA has supported him regularly, uh, and what he said is that Barr kind of knows that uh, the Second Amendment issues are out of bounds for him, 
that the president is aware he can't um, can't harm his base or disrupt his relationship with the base, which anything on the Second Amendment would do. The president is already feeling the blowbacks from people on the bump stock uh, and lesson learned on that front. But more importantly, he said that William Barr, as long as he is in the position as attorney general, there will be a Republican-controlled Senate uh, that has repeatedly blocked even Pat Toomey in the Senate, a Republican, from passing any sort of measures, including including the red flag laws on mental health. So he thinks that the package we're getting with William Barr is so good, and even on the Second Amendment, he's much better than some of the people the president was considering that he's willing to put up with Barr having these personal beliefs, knowing they're not actually going to be enacted into law. Uh, And again, he said he would never vote for any of this stuff, including the red flag laws, even though some of his colleagues support it. So, but yes, Gary, you're right. Um, Republicans have a tendency right now when President Trump says something, they all go rally around that. I mean, look at how many Republicans, including some of his evangelical supporters, were suddenly saying nice things about Planned Parenthood when the president said they do good things. Yeah, of course, yeah, they do good things. Uh, We do have a tendency there. Uh, We've got to be very, very vigilant when it comes to William Barr. I'm I'm kind of surprised the NRA has been as quiet as they have been on this nomination. They probably could have been a little more vocal, but I guess LaPierre is getting ready for a challenge to his power at the NRA and is focused on that. Okay, I want to go back to this. uh, This... um, Look, y'all, I, I don't I don't mean to be a fuddy-duddy on this, but it actually does aggravate me. I, 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 I'm not going to say the word because I know you people have kids in your car, some of you, um, but there is a D word uh, that appears in the Spider-Man trailer. Um, it is, um, no, it, it, it's not that one. It doesn't end with an oosh, it ends with an ick. Uh, and followed by a wad and I, 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 my 10 year old loves Spider-Man and I took him to see the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movie. And I just kind of gritted my teeth the whole time. Um, please don't let there be anything bad in this. And there wasn't, there was no locker room talk. There was no profanity. There was, there was nothing inappropriate in that movie. It was a really, really good movie. And I just, I find it jarring in the trailer. They want to put that in the trailer. I mean, when you're interacting with teenagers in the movie, you, you kind of, to some degree, expect that something like that may happen. But there's really no need for it. They got through the Into the Spider-Verse movie without any of it. Uh, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know why Sony felt the need to do that. And, and more profound, that they, they left it out of the international trailer. Now, I realize, listen, I, I've got people who've called into this show before who've told me that they, they find porn to be no big deal. And they don't mind their kids seeing it because they're going to encounter it anyway. I, seriously, I've had these calls from parents, uh, many of them, by the way, childless, late 20-somethings. Um, but I, I've had people call in and say it's, it's no big deal because they're going to encounter this anyway. And my response is always, well, you want to give your 10-year-old a, a glass of bourbon because they're going to encounter it anyway in just a few years, might as well. Um, I, I just The whole thing to me is distasteful that... I'm trying to raise my children a certain way, as most parents are, even if you're not a conservative parent, and I want to have some level of control over what they see. I can choose to take them to the movie theater or not to see Spider-Man. It becomes a harder thing for me to deny them access to a trailer that they themselves can probably find, and it's not going to be blocked out by any sort of parental controls that we have on the internet. I just, I'm... 
I'm really aggravated by it. And I wish more parents were aggravated by it. And frankly, I think part of the problem we have in society is parents are not aggravated by stuff like this enough. It is such a minor thing, I realize. Um, but I just, there's no need for it. And you know there's no need for it because in the trailer that is going to be shown in every other country on earth except this one, they use the word loser instead of the other word. They should have done that here too. I just, it makes me mad. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Mark Aram coming up next, and then we got a basketball game tonight. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Mike, you are up next tonight. Welcome. How are you? Yeah, good, Eric. How are you doing? Great. What's quick, going on? i got a quick question. Now that hemp is legal in all 50 states, when do you think Georgia will make it legal to farm? I have some acreage, and I'd like to use it as an additional crop. I would not hold my breath on that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, and, and you know, it, law enforcement in Georgia has a, a strong lobby, and it's just very hard for them to, um, to, no pun intended, weed out the pot farms from the hidden farms. Right. <laughs> right. You know, interestingly enough, though, on, on that topic, and Mike, thanks very much for the phone call, uh, Renee Unterman, this is a real victory here for conservatives. Renee Unterman will no longer be the chair of the health care committee in the Senate. She's long been an obstacle to medical marijuana in the state, but also a huge, huge proponent of Obamacare, wanting to expand Obamacare in the state, and she is out. Uh, she is the one who basically said that social conservatives uh, just need to get used to being ignored in the state legislature this time, that they wanted to focus on weaning back the suburbs, where weaning back the suburbs means they wanted to, she supports a bunch of uh, social left-wing legislation, uh, including expanding Obamacare. This is a great, great sign coming from the state Senate, um, but anything conservative is going to go nowhere in the House uh, as long as the Speaker is blocking everything because he, like Underman, wants to win back the suburbs um, by being just polite and, and and not standing on principle on things and just 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 let's do a bunch of big government things that, that give people money and make people happy and keep Hollywood coming to Georgia. Oh, goodness. All right, Mark Aram up next. I will be back tomorrow with more of the William Barr hearings.